Listening to Grinding True Crimes with your hosts Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hey, 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 everybody! Welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host Maddie Matt, along with our narrator Todd Fox and our other host of the show Gabby Gabby. We're back and ready to get it started. Uh, before we get the show started, I'll let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on iHeartRadio. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram. Just look us up under the Grinding True Crime Podcast. So, since we got that out of the way, uh, last week we had our first uh, story from Gabby Gab giving a story about that dire lady who was a kid killer. So, if you want to hear that show, go ahead and listen to our old, our past, our past one we did. But this one that we're doing right now, we got a little treat for you. This one's definitely going to be a continuation, continuous story. We might have way more than two parts to this one today. Today we're going to do the first part, and this story is about a person that actually hit headline news just recently. I don't know anything about him. I just know about the name. I don't know his details, but that's where Todd comes into place, and he's been itching to talk about this criminal, so... Without further ado, I'll let Todd take the floor. Go ahead, Todd. Tell us who we're talking about today. Well, first off, I do want to give props again to Gabby for her first story. She did a great job, so definitely listen to that one from last week. <clears throat> that was a terrible Absolutely. story, by well, the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, a very evil one. Oh, yes. Very evil. And this one is uh, more present day. Uh, it's not from the 1800s like yours was from last uh, last week, but this is the Golden State Killer. And um, I'm going to do something a little different. I've heard this story told uh, a few times, but not in the way that I have. I've gotten a lot more details, kind of like search for the nooks and crannies. And, oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So I got a little extra to provide because <clears throat> not much was told about his upbringing. And I got a lot of that in this first episode. And um, mm. a lot of times this offender wasn't known for 42 years or over 42 years. So, Whoa. yeah, so Whoa. instead of like just, you know, going by the offender or what he was called by, we can all, always refer to him as Joseph James D'Angelo because that's who he was identified by in 2018. And as we go along, uh, I'll tell you very interestingly how that happened and how he was uh, eventually uh, found out and identified because it's a really good story in itself. But <clears throat> the way we're going to start this one is, uh, like I said, not by the uh, offender or the suspect or the prowler, like people had to do before, because growing up, this this story really got to me um, before I got really into true crime. I really started to get into it because of this story. And um, it was a story that just, like, for whatever reason was buried, because, you, you know, you have your Zodiacs of the world, you have um, the I-5 killer that we profiled on the show before. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've had the Night Stalker. Um, you've had, uh, well, I remember him. yeah. And then you had, uh, which we did too. And then also you had, um, Charles Manson. Um, 
Mm-hmm. You had what's that one killer? The um, Ted Bundy. Bundy, yeah. So you had all these killers on the California coast, basically, and that uh-huh. made and stole the headlines, but were killing around the same time. If you look up their stories, yeah, you may say Bundy's prolific as well, but this guy, the way that he killed D'Angelo and the way that he was so covert about it and the way that he Ooh. did things, I think shoots him to the top of the list. I think he's like oh, above all time. Yeah, I think in California history, he's got to be the biggest and, and worst. Um, so he was a huge creep, huh? Oh yeah. Wait, wait till you wait till we get into some of the specifics. This first episode will mainly be on his on his upbringing, and you can kind of see the warning signs. Okay. <clears throat> so let's start off by saying the many titles that this man had at times from 1973 onward. Um, he had many okay. many titles such as the Visalia Ransacker, the East Area oh. the East Area Rapist. The Whoa. the creep killer, the original Night Stalker, and finally the Golden State Killer. Also, the Rancho Cardo- Cardova Ransacker. So he had a lot. Yeah. Of- Dang. Okay, the only one I know him for from what you've told me was the Golden State Killer. I did not know he had all those other titles to his name. Yeah, because the Golden State Killer came from. I don't know if you know Patton Oswalt, but he did a lot of voices for Disney. Um, he's a comedian, and he's also been on various TV shows. But okay. his, his wife was Michelle McNamara, and she actually, during the late 90s, heard of this case, and it was dormant. Like, nobody was talking about it. <clears throat> and she got really? to, Yeah, she got tired of it because she read up on all the things that he did. She, she interviewed the victims, and she's like, there's too many nicknames. We need something, because the original, when you think Night Stalker, you think Richard Ramirez. And mm-hmm. when they were able to all finally in the late 90s tie all these things together, she's like, he needs his own name. So she's the one that came up with the Golden State Killer. Wow. Yeah. And that kind of like gave it. Did she trademark it? <laughs> no, but, but it, it, it's easily traced back to her. <laughs> but let's, uh, let's get started on this story, shall we? Um, Please do, because I... I know since I met you, that was the first thing you told me was this guy, and I don't know much about him. Yeah, I don't know details. About I don't know the details, so please inform us there. Okay, I'll try to do my best. Um, Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. was born November eighth, nineteen forty-five, in Bath, New York. To weird. Joseph- wow. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm November ninth. That's why it's weird. Oh, <laughs> I was gonna say, are you from Bath, New York? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, his father, he was born to his father, Joseph James D'Angelo Sr., <clears throat> and Catherine Louise de Grotte. He had two sisters, Rebecca and Connie, and a brother named John. Um, his father was a, a senior member in the Navy, so they traveled a lot. And he was, okay. yeah, he was up there as far as like, you know, he served in World War II, all kinds of stuff, right? Alright. Joe's family though was very cold and didn't spend too much time with each with the kids. The kids were kind of on their own. The mother and father were kind of like doing their own thing. And uh <clears throat> now as his father and and uh, and them traveled a lot, they traveled to like places like Oklahoma City, New York, Florida, um they went overseas too. They actually went to Germany for a while. And oh, wow. yeah, so it's it's there. In, um, in the year 1954, 
at the age of nine, this is where one of the troubles, trouble spots of Joseph Jam, James D'Angelo's life uh, took place. <clears throat> um, okay. One thing that he witnessed, which sparked future problems and fetishes that um, made up his, his mindset, was the fact that he witnessed two servicemen in their early 20s raping his 16-year-old sister right in front of him. Ah, dang. Yeah. Wow, you would think that would make him against it. Yes, Dang. right. Um, he never, he wouldn't say, but the the thoughts are that he never intervened because he might have been enjoying it, even at the age of nine. Wow. Wow. That's twisted. Yes, that's a little twisted already. <laughs> um, Dang. This was something that he admitted that years later it did scar him and he did have dreams and memories that didn't go away. But it could have fed into his fetishes, too. So that's one thing. Ew. Um, yeah, pretty disgusting. Well, I did not know that. Yeah. See, this is a, this is a deep nuggets that I'm getting right now. Yeah. Um, his family would leave Germany three years later, after, and the incident was never reported. So not only did his sister not talk about it, but he didn't either. Um, Joe grew up a very uh, quiet uh, guy, very outdoorsy. Um, <clears throat> when he got into a fight, his uh, middle school friend said that he beat this kid up. And when everyone was, you know, trying to give Joe credit or give him props, Joe didn't want to talk about it anymore. Just brushed it off, didn't care. Um, wow. <clears throat> he got along, though, when they moved to this uh, small city in Northern California called Rancho Cardova. Their next door neighbors, he was more of a family member to them than he was to his own family. Meaning, he would hang out with the, with the family members' brothers and their sisters. Um, they actually threw him a graduation party at middle school, and his picture actually hung in that family's house fifty years later until this all came out in the in the clear. So, okay. yeah, so he actually got along with them much better. His mom was running around with another man at this point, and the father just didn't care. Um, oh, so she, she just left the husband? No, she was there, but she was just, everyone in the in the city knew that she was, like, sleeping around with another guy, and and the the husband, like, heard through the grapevine, and he just didn't care. He was, he was over. Oh, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's probably doing his own thing. Pretty, pretty much, <laughs> I mean. That's how it was, that's that how it was sounds going. like a very emotionally empty family. Everybody's in their own world. Absolutely, that you hit it right on the head. I mean, like you have two homes next to each other. The one he's living in just doesn't care about anybody but themselves, and then the one next door is all nurturing. And Joe's actually enjoying being with him because he's learning to fish with the brothers and the father. And the father mm-hmm. is a, um, you know, is a treats him like another son basically. So mm-hmm. he's getting his love there. Um, so as he moved to Rancho Cardova and learned those two homes, he attended the Mills Middle School. He graduated there. Then in 1964, he would graduate at Folsom High School, which is also in Rancho Cardova. Out of high school, um, to be like his father and to get brownie points, he joined the Navy. And he went to Vietnam right when the war was raging the most. And you think about it, you think, man, you know, like, if he would have went to Vietnam, things would have been different had he went and he was actually a part of maybe the Army because the Army went on land and had to fight the Viet Cong, and, and there's a good chance you could die. And um, yeah. 
he was in the Navy and he was on a ship that was just bombarding from the ocean. And if you know mm-hmm. that whole area of Vietnam, it was mostly inland. So he never faced live combat, ever. Oh. Wow. So he went for the ride. <laughs> yeah, he did. He went for the ride and he he um, served three years on USSS Canberra. I don't know if I'm spelling that or, or pronouncing that right. As a damage control man, which is if the ship gets hit, you know, you have to make repairs, blah, 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 save people. Yeah. It never got hit. Never faced any kind of combat. They just shelled from the outside. <clears throat> um, okay. Yeah, so he, he spent three years over there really just twiddling his thumbs for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had his uniform on. Yeah, yeah, somewhat. <laughs> but then he came back with no purpose, and he wanted to do something. So in 1968, he had dreams of becoming a highway patrolman. So he, right. he joined Sierra College and graduated three years um, in police science from there. Then he moved on to criminal justice and got his master's in 1971 at Sacramento State. Well, this is a criminal smart man. Criminal justice. Yes, criminal justice. So, so this is a very smart guy. This is a very, very smart guy. And he learned the techniques of being a detective, which I'm very jealous of. And <laughs> and he also... Yeah, right? I mean, this guy, this all plays into his story because he actually studies burglary the the science of it i mean he i mean this this will play into everything that happens Um, all right so we're dealing with a smart person so far absolutely um but while very smart before he moved to sacramento state however um he was at sierra college and a young 18 year old student by the name of bonnie was enjoying her day in the quad of the school when she right. looked, when she looked over and saw a pudgy twenty two year old he's he's a little chunky little chunky but he's got sandy blonde hair white guy um, you know jeans and a shirt not dressed too nice just just like whatever right yeah. staring at regular her. guy yeah just just a regular guy and he stares at her and she looks over at him and he gets the the cojones to go up to her and start to talk to her. And um, she wasn't attracted to him physically, but it was the way he came off confident and the way he was talking to her with respect, which he and she liked. So, so the two struck up a conversation. Before they knew it, they began to date. Um, he was out, very outgoing, and she, the thing that she, she thought about him right away was that he had endless energy. So he was like one of our friends that's just... You know, it seems like they got ADHD. Like, they're always wanting to do something. (laughs) They're not tired, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And um, Joe, like I said before, was very outgoing. Um, He took her fishing. She'd never been fishing before. Um, They went hiking. They went on, uh, they did bike riding together. He had a motorcycle. Um, He taught her how to fire guns because he had a few guns. And, um, all right. Yeah, she got, you know, he started to, you know, hang with her, doing her hobbies, things like that. And he helped her get her own very own twenty two caliber gun and her own permit to carry. So <clears throat> they were, they were, from right now, I mean, you wouldn't think anything's bad, nothing's whatever. But the two he are getting... like the perfect guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like he's settling down. You know, he's done his militaries. You know, they're in college right now or they're finishing up college. 
and they're doing really good together. <clears throat> and they, mm -hmm. they actually, at this time, they're still at Sacramento State. They wind up or they wind up transferring to Sacramento State from Sierra College. So they're at the same college together. And, and uh, one day, he picked her up from school, and they drove up by the American River. Joe was on his Harley or his motorcycle, was revving it really, you know, he was going faster than usual. She's holding on, pretty scared. Joe turns off the road and goes up this hill, and it's a dangerous hill. And he goes over, it looks like he's going to go over the cliff, but he knows where he's going, but she has no idea. She's screaming, yelling, scared. She looks <clears> at him from, the, you know, trying to get his attention to slow down, and he has a smile on his face. He's enjoying her fear. Wow. Yeah. This bothered her to no end. And the couple argued for, for days about it because she was saying, how could you take my life into your hands like that? And, you know, you could have crashed and we could have died. And he just kept laughing it off. He loved it. He loved it. Wow. What a jerk. Yep. So at the same time, Bonnie's father was a World War II veteran as well. So... Her and Joe, or him and Joe, were talking like crazy because they were swapping war stories. Now, Joe was, you know, Bonnie's dad was actually on the ground fighting Germans. And Joe, like I said, really wasn't. He was on a ship doing much to do without nothing. And, but he was making it like he was like this crazy, you know, you know he, he actually had cut by accident the tip of his pinky finger off. And oh, wow. he was bragging that it was a bullet that shot his finger off. He was in combat, but he was never in combat. So he was dressing up his So he story. was making up stories? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, he and was. They, and they said it, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, it's funny because he was getting along with her family, too, really good. And um, she was, like, just, you know, thinking, man, you know, he's he's weaseled himself into the family. You know, what if this doesn't work out? And she was she was just trying to be uh, she was just trying to 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 make things work but she was seeing a lot of red flags and um yeah one of it was one one uh, thing is i'm gonna get a, a little graphic here is that joe was her first sexual partner and okay. uh, <clears throat> it didn't seem right when she told her friends what had actually happened a few times after they were intimate together basically joe would be right there huh he raped her no, here, here's here's the deal. Let's see, let's see if uh, Gabby would agree with this being um, good for someone that has no experience and to do this to your partner. Okay. But okay. Um, he would basically he bragged to her that he could stop during ejaculation, stop himself from fully climaxing, then restart the process all over and go again. So what? instead of going one time. And stopping, he would go four to five times on average. And what? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but <laughs> this was <would, I> <laughs> this would cause Bonnie pain because of the elongated sexual experience. Like it wouldn't be no like five to ten minutes. We're talking maybe an hour, an hour and a half. And if you're doing all those kind of motions. Certain areas get a little maybe raw, dry, sensitive, maybe rip, tear, um, just things of that nature. And it was painful for Bonnie. Um, but this yeah, it's like too much. 
Yeah, like, what do you think? I mean, I mean... Yeah, uh, that's, that's too much. I mean, I I don't want to go too detailed, but... I mean, two times? Maybe three, but in a full day? I don't know about five, like, back-to-back. He's just going and going. She gets no break. Like, that's too much. Absolutely, and that's what I wanted to say, and you said it right better than I could. It's too much. It's too much at one time, painful, and Joe didn't care. He was that was what he was into, and he didn't care if it caused Bonnie pain or soreness after. Didn't care. Wow. So, um, well, you were selfish already. Oh yeah, already, already showing bad signs. Um, despite all this, though, they continue to date, and uh, but however, just. Eight months into the relationship, Joe proposes to Bonnie. Bonnie also gets a little selfish right here because she doesn't like the ring that he gives her because she thinks it's too simple. Even though it's an heirloom, heirloom he says, from his grandma, he, mm-hmm. she says it's too simple, it's small, uh, the ring itself, and then the, the stone isn't that big. And then she wasn't too keen on being married that early anyway. She felt she was too young. Yeah. So, as they stay together, they're they're at Sacramento State University. She sees more problems with him breaking rules, like on the side, like in the area that they live in in Rancho Cordova. It's you know kind of wide open, and they have like areas to you know hunt and stuff like that. And he would hunt without a license or fish without a fishing license. And she was very brought up very strict, so the little things were starting to bug her. Um, he killed a deer in non in a non deer season, gutted it right in front of her. Um, what? Yeah, he shot a bird with a twenty two, and it was like a dove, so it wasn't even like one of those birds that you know you can kill. What? Yeah, and then the, the twisted part is, while the bird was still breathing when it was shot out of the air, he pushes the um, the head off with his finger, just you know, <laughs> yeah, and it didn't. Fit. Oh, that's right. He was already nuts. Yeah, he was, he was very careless. He's doing a lot of signs already. Oh yeah, yeah. You're seeing, and then the, the, here's one that too, that you know how you get on a, on a bicycle and maybe a stray dog will will chase you a little bit and you have to kind of like ride mm-hmm. away real fast. Well, he's mm-hmm. he's on a motorcycle and he picks up Bonnie um, to take her to class and they're leaving the house and there's this German Shepherd that starts chasing them. Now, a German Shepherd isn't a small dog; it's a big dog, or whatever. Yeah, I can't say if it was because it's not said here if, if it was actually trying to attack them, but it's just said that he was the dog was running with the motorcycle and kind of chasing the motorcycle. Um, without a hesitation at all, uh, Joe slows down and pulls out a twenty two and blows the dog's head off. <gasps> yeah. With, with Bonnie right next to him or behind him on the motorcycle. Dang. <laughs> Yeah. That guy is cold. He has no heart. Yes. And we'll come to see, and as we move along, that he doesn't like animals. He's not in favor of animals. Um, I can see already. <laughs> yeah. So as uh, Bonnie's discomfort grows and grows, um, the one thing, or what's the what's the tipping point? Do you think? Let me ask you guys a question. What's the tipping point of Bonnie actually saying, "All right, enough's enough"? Um, 
If you guys get this, okay, you already. <laughs> The tipping point. This is random as hell, by the way. It's random? Yeah. The tipping point is... Ah, uh, man. She, he, uh... I don't know. He, he, he goes streaking in college or something. <laughs> no, but that would be more understandable. <laughs> Would you? I would say they have, like, herself, they have a family pet or something, and he kills it, like, without remorse in a very disgusting way. Yeah, that's going along with how he how he rolls, but that's, uh, actually, Matt was closer with this one. It had to do with school, It and she just got fed up because, remember, she's very strict, but he wanted her to yeah. cheat on a test. They had one class together. And he wasn't doing too good in it. He actually was getting a D. And she wanted, or he wanted her to cheat on uh, for him on the test. And she refused. And he tried to use the fact that they were engaged and tried to use the fact that, you know, hey, we're a team now, blah, blah, you got to help me out. And he just kept pushing and kept pushing. And mm. she, kept, she kept telling him, look, I'm a Christian girl. I don't do this, blah, blah, blah. And he didn't care. He just kept pushing the issue, pushing the issue. And then finally she's like, you know what? That's it. She called him to the house the next day. And the family was there. She didn't want to be alone. And he threw a tantrum. Like he threw a tantrum. What? Yeah, in the front room. He threw a tantrum and was like getting high-pitched voice and was saying, you can't do this to me. We're meant to be together. And it was not something where like, hey, you know, I got to fix things. Okay, you know, I love you. Stuff that you would want to say to fix the situation. He was making it about him only. And um, he made such a big fuss. When he turned around, he, like, took his hand and threw, because he had the ring that she gave him back, and mm -hmm. threw, threw it in the yard. Um, so after Joe left, her family felt bad. Her father, her mother, her you know, her sister and her brothers... And even her aunt were out there in the front yard looking for that ring. Because they were like, you know what, we should return it to Joe. It's his grandma's. And they looked all day. Even the neighbor came and helped them. And then they figured out, he never threw the ring. That was, he put on an act. You know? And so they're wow. out there all day looking for the ring. And the ring was never there. Joe kept it. <laughs> yeah. He was a drama queen. <laughs> oh. That was pretty funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's understandable, though, from her part, because, yeah, he didn't respect her values or anything. So at that point, I mean, what kind of respect and love would she have for the rest of her life being with this guy? Yeah, she did the smart thing. Oh, yeah. And so the next part, as I described, is something that unfortunately will pop up a lot as we go on. And here is the first time that we know of that Mr. D'Angelo showed his very creepy self. It was two days later at about 1 a.m. at Bonnie's house. She uh -oh. got a tapping on the window. When she looked up out the window, Joseph was looking right at her with a, with a um, six-shooter pointed right at her face. <gasps> yeah. Joe... Um, Joe whispered with a gun to her face, get dressed, we're going to Nevada, we're going to get married. She was terrified. Oh, heck no. She, yeah, exactly. 
She was terrified. She rolls off the bed and runs to her dad's room, which is the World War II veteran, right? She explains yeah. that Joe is out there with a gun, and she tells her, and so her dad says, very calmly, go to the bathroom, lock yourself inside. Now, um, what do you think happens, knowing now that, that she's, your daughter is being threatened with a gun by, uh -huh. by a guy that you know is emotionally unstable because of the breakup? What do you think happens? The dad goes outside, grabs his gun, because he's a veteran, and a gunfight pursue, or even before a gunfight pursue, he shoots him, and then probably kills the whole family. <laughs> nope. What do you think, Gabby? I think, I'm going to guess the dad just goes down trying to talk sense into him. Bingo! You got it. Now... And, and as Gabby got it, I want to just preference this as well, is this, you know how there's always an opportunity or there's always a situation in, in these stories where a serial killer gets away or gets a huge break in the beginning to where he could have been locked up, but something prevented him from doing that, and then he just graduates, right? Yeah. Well, Gabby called it straight up. The father went out there with respect because of him being an army veteran the fact that he knew that joe was going to college to become a police officer and he figured if i go out there and i or i call the cops it's going to ruin this man's career and yeah he i don't want him for my daughter but i feel bad for him and that's how he approached it wow so, so the two went out there talking. that's a good man <laughs> yeah well i mean he had values i mean they just don't make them like that anymore from the world war ii era yeah but um, he reasoned with him and told him that very thing. Like, hey, man, it's just best to walk away. My daughter's not going to be with you. I'm cutting you a break. Cut us a break, blah, blah, blah. He was straight up with him. And to Joe's credit, Joe respected him and just walked away. So wow. Bonnie, though, <clears throat> is scarred. She does not want to go back to college. She actually quits um, in fear of Joe. And she wants to. Yeah, I would have to. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that your dad didn't do anything. And then when you ask your dad, hey, what happened with Joe? He said, it's over with and done. So he doesn't even tell her what happens till years later. Wow. Yeah. Um, Joe goes on an internship with a police department, but then lands a job in that very city where he grew up in 1973. Rancho Cordova, California, which is just outside Visalia, California. And if you need to know where that's at, it's a hundred. Oh yeah, that's not that. Huh? It's not that far. Yeah, it's about a um, hundred and thirty miles east of Frisco. Oh, alright. So wait, that was the last encounter he had with Bonnie. That was it. He left her alone. Yeah, Bonnie was Bonnie was in the clear. Alright, cool, Bonnie. Cool, cool. Bonnie won't come up in our story till. Mm, Probably to like episode three or four. That's when she'll come up again. Oh dang! <laughs> she she makes a she makes a um, return, but not in the way you think. It'll, it'll be oh surprising. man! Yeah. Um. So at the same time, though, however, uh, just months later, after he gets you know he gets the internship, he finishes that, he transfers over to Rancho Cordova next to Visalia. 
Um, he finds and marries a woman that is almost similar in appearance to Bonnie, and her name is Sharon Marie Huddle in 1973. So, wow, yeah. So the small wow. Town, so small, I guess okay. not because you off, but there's a certain look he likes in women, then, huh? Yes, this woman was blonde, uh, about five ten, um, you know, medium build. Dang, yeah. He was he was hey, yeah, uh, he was 5'10 as well. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Same yeah. height. Same height, yeah. So the two, uh, the small town in Northern California called Rancho Cordova is where they called home. Uh, being close, it's, it's, a, it's a Navy city or town. It's near two bases, uh, naval, naval bases, which a lot of families train. And, you know, they're transient type of people. They they come and go because they get assignments, just like his dad did. You know, they'll be there for like three, four years, then move again, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and um, so they get like all kinds of assignments from around the world and whatnot. Um, the, the city mostly had new tract homes um, in the late 60s and early 70s being built, which is like, you know how you see like a they'll plow a big land, you know, area out, build a few um, homes for um, what do you call it um, show homes and then they start building the homes similar to those and there's like yeah. a lot of cul-de-sacs a lot of turnarounds only like one or two ways to enter and exit um, yeah my sister lived in one okay. like that in Washington before she moved yeah so you know how they're built then they also have like drainage areas or flood control channels next to them um, washways or whatever so mm-hmm. they're all kind of built the same um, that will play a, a huge part as we move on. Um, All right. Because in the future, um, after you know when he's committing his stuff, people start to think: Is he a builder? You know, does he does he know the the plans for these homes? Because you know he he's just familiar with how the houses are built and and the ways to get in and out of those neighborhoods. So. Hmm. Most of the homes are built the same size, different, small differences, same styles, nice front yard, usually two front doors and a bay window, a huge bay window in the front, and always with a mm-hmm. sliding glass door in the back and with spacious yards. Mm-hmm. So this is where his reign of terror begins. Uh-huh. This is it. This is it. This is where it starts. So, All right. Sergeant Richard Shelby, who was the lead uh, detective and police officer for the Visalia, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, no, the, Ran- the Rancho Cordova Police Department. Okay. Was on the hunt for a burglar in the area. The offender was not your usual burglar. He stole okay. rings, silver coins, jewelry that really didn't add up too much. And he would steal sometimes one earring out of a set of two. Um, just and he, and he would go through pictures in either photo albums or frames, taking only the pictures or cutting out the pictures of the females or the young girls. Yeah. Yes. And also what made him different from any other burglar that Shelby encountered in his past being a cop was the fact that this burglar would turn the house upside down, pulling out drawers, um, eating food, leaving it on the counter. Um, he would take out uh, underwear, uh, men's underwear, 
put it in the <laughs> he would put it in the hallway, right? And then he would take the women's <laughs> underwear and he would put it on the bed all nice and neat and sometimes he would leave little presents sort of like ejaculating on them and things like that. Oh. And remember this is way before DNA. So Wow. They, yeah. They didn't really connect or keep any of that stuff because they didn't figure they had to. Um He's nasty. Yeah, he wow. spends he spends a ton of time in these houses. Like like he waits till these people are gone. So he scoped the houses. And he also puts tables or chairs with plates on them in front of the front door so that if the front door opens, the plates make the noise because the table or chair uh, knocks over, and then he knows he's got to leave the house. He's got, And he would leave, like, the garage halfway open or the sliding glass door open so he can make quick e- exits. So this guy was smart. Wow. He was very smart. Yeah. Um, he was always... Very creepy, too. Oh, very creepy. Very creepy. He scoped <laughs> the houses a lot. He would strike when people were away, uh, but this would change in 1973, late 1973. He would be peeping. He would start to be a peeping Tom, staring into houses while women were sleeping. Um, Wow. Yeah, he would then escalate to what is called a cat burglar, where the cat burglar is more, the definition of a cat burglar is more of a guy or a woman who is just, they get off on getting as close as they possibly can to a person sleeping or in a situation to where they almost get caught. And so he was breaking into houses while people were sleeping, snooping through the stuff, snooping through the house, and sometimes being a voyeur and looking at the females. And in a couple cases where he turned it up a notch, he touched their breasts while they were sleeping. Um... He was caught by one woman, half naked, from the waist down. Um, he, on a couple other incidences, he would tap on their window when he got tired of just looking. And then they'd look out the window and they'd see him with a ski mask and, you know, just his blonde hair. Hey. And, his, and he was naked from the waist down, touching himself. Oh. Dang. Yeah, yeah this, <laughs> this guy was, um, he was revving it up, dude. He was revving it up. Yeah, he was on one, man. Yes. Um, yeah, he was on one. How the hell would that get him? I don't get it. How does he get off of that? Women seen... <laughs> they just freaked out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it, it came off as fear. Like, this, the, the fear of it was the fact that... And here's the first time that, you know... And you're going to hear this a lot as we move on, too, in this story. Um, <clears throat> one woman actually gets a glimpse of his manhood... And uh-huh. it's not much to brag about. She says he <laughs> has a small penis. <laughs> so, he wasn't packing much heat, huh? No, he wasn't. <laughs> and um, that will that particular part literally will play a big part in this story as we move along. <laughs> well, at least he has something big. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, 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 the part is not big. Let's just say that. <laughs> Dang, dude. Well, that explains it. He, he, oh, dear. He's got to compensate. Right? Yeah, he has to compensate some way. Mm-hmm. So these these people and the women that actually get a stare at him through the window notice that a couple times he actually has the brazen 
attitude of taking off his ski mask and looking at them while he's touching himself and has a knife in the other hand. So he's a scary dude. And two women that seen him like that were like, they looked into his eyes and he had a blank stare. And then when, just when you think, you know, when you can't stare no more and you're going to look away, he, he grins or he gives a smirk, like a smile, like a deep, dirty smile, like, yes. You know what I mean? Like, like just, mm. He's empty mm. inside. Yes. Um, the police start a task force, and they dub him the Cardova Cat Burglar. And the odds wow. of catching a peeping Tom at that time, because of the neighborhood, the people did say, too, when they called the cops, he took off. Like, he was so fast. He would jump fences and just, like, go through yards, and he was very agile for his weight and his build. It looked like it was a little pudgy, and they were like, man, this guy is just, he's trained. Like, he's super fast. So, the amount of uh, new housing, the lack of big police force, you needed a miracle, basically, to, to come up with any kind of thing on this. And with all that's going on, Joseph is a police officer at this time. So, that's true. Did he, he ever show up for himself? <laughs> well, here's the thing: no one in this story at all will ever suspect him of doing any of this. And really, no, yeah, and nobody knows to this day because this is part of the things that I would ask him. As you know, if I were to ha- if I had a chance to ask him, how did you do this while you were on the police force, while you were on the clock, when married to your wife? How did you how did you get away? And how did you do this as a police officer? Wait, he would do this while he was on the clock? Yes. Get out of here. Yes, he was on the clock and would be doing all this stuff. That's what I'm saying. When the cops were called, he never, like, immediately went and changed and showed up. Being a police officer, looking for himself. <laughs> Maybe he did. <laughs> See, these are the these are the answers Maybe. to the questions that we don't know. That's that's a funny one. I didn't think Maybe. <laughs> He's all, what do you we'll look pull like? pull up and say, what does he look like? Oh, okay. We'll, we'll be on it. And yeah. then pull up and say, yeah, the, minutes later. We're going to find this guy. <laughs> I know who he is. The woman, goes, the woman goes, he had a small penis. He's like, are you sure about that? I'm, I've heard he has a big penis. <laughs> That's the one he killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh um, so far so good, man. So far so good. <laughs> so um it's funny because one night well it's not funny, but on in September of nineteen seventy three there's a knock on the on a door of a woman around ten o'clock at night. She hears the noise but ignores it and figures it's just you know, she doesn't want to answer it. She's at home with her with mm-hmm. her son. Mm-hmm. Um just a minute later as she goes to get something to drink because of you know, the door woke her up from the fridge, she sees Joseph trying to break in through the back and he's trying to get in the sliding glass uh, door. She locks it. He runs around. He's trying to get into another window. She goes and grabs her gun. As she grabs her gun and puts the bullets in the chamber, Joseph throws his body through the glass door. He just, boom, barrel rushes, gets straight through the door. And before she could grab the gun and put it to his head, he grabs it, grabs her, knocks her out. The gun fires, but into the air. Um, wow. Yeah, she's knocked out. 
Her son calls 911. Joseph leaves without doing any other damage other than knocking her out. And the police find her on the ground, passed out. Um, The gun and the prowler are gone. He steals her gun. Um, Two weeks later, Detective Shelby is out and about when he gets a call about a prowler jumping fences, jumping yards, even jumping rooftop to rooftop, peering into people's windows like upside down. What the heck? Like, like, wow. Like, think about it. You like know, Spider-Man? Yeah, exactly, dude. Exactly like Spider-Man. You know how he would, like, come upside down and look into the window? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have webs or nothing, Joe. I don't think he did, but he, he, did. <laughs> but he was leaning over the rooftops and looking into windows. Get out of here. This guy is on one, bro. On one. Well, you know, that that makes sense, though. Like, he's going to find any way because with the experience with the girlfriend, he would have been afraid. He took risks. Yeah. That's true. Well, he wasn't scared of anything. He wasn't scared of dying. He wasn't. Not at this time, he wasn't. So, with all this going on, Shelby gets to the area. They don't see anything. They don't hear anything. As they, as the four cops are looking around, the neighbors kind of go back inside their house As they drive around the corner, he sees a garage door half open. Shelby gets Mm. the thought of, you know what, let me check this out. He goes in there into the house, and he he finds, or, or into the garage, he finds a big stick filled with blood, and it looks like skin. What? Yeah, so so right away, he, he radios to his partner to come in. They go in there with guns, and... With a with a uh, flashlight, they enter the house, go into the family room, and fortunately, it's not a human being, but it is the family dog, a big family dog. It was beaten to death, and <coughs> Shelby said that to this day he he feels for that dog because it looked like the dog was trying to get underneath the family bed itself, like the king size bed. It was trying to get away, and. Joseph was beating the living crap out of it until it died. And it was, the stomach was disemboweled. No! Yeah. Pretty rough scene, even for a cop back then. So, um, as as the burglaries picked up, though, people bought dogs for protection. But Mm -hmm. as the burglaries continued, the dog killings did as well. So, as the people either so nothing want. stopped this guy, huh? He was gonna get whatever was in his way out of the way. Yes, he, and he got creative too, killing the dogs. It wasn't just beating them to death. He would stab them. He would um, poison them. Things of that nature. They just all started winding up dying. <clears throat> and wait, he would poison them? Yeah, he used poison as well. Wow. And for the dogs that you know, maybe he was surprised about. He was using dog repellent. So, oh, wow. what is that? It's sort of like a spray that you could spray dogs that like are very aggressive, and it makes them very disoriented. So, like it covers their nose, it like gives them like a real weird smell, and they just don't want to bother people because they're too busy. It's sort of like if they get peanut peanut butter or something annoying on their face, and they just spend all their time trying to lick it off and calm down or whatever. So it's a pepper- like the bear spray. Yeah, pretty much. It's something like that that works for for dogs. You can spray it in their eyes or on their nose, and it totally distracts them. Wow. Dang. 
Yeah, so at this time, um, after that last dog killing, or a few more dog killings and a few more break-ins, in late 1973, everything just up and stops. So 40 break-ins, countless incidents of dogs being killed and things being stolen, and everything stops. Hmm. And that is episode one of... The Golden State Killer. Ah! <laughs> oh man, why you do that? <laughs> as as he ends his um, as he ends his um, what is it called? Uh, Rancho Cardova cat burglar saga. So he ends that. Wow. Yep. He's making bigger plans. So now. so far, no humans have been killed. Are we getting to somewhere, Todd? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. In our oh, very next dang. episode, we will. All right. Dang, you got me itching to find out more, man. <laughs> this was a setup episode. I see. I see. Because I'm like, well, okay, he's killed dogs. He's doing a peeping We're dog. We're into it, and you're like, and it stops. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, what's the big deal? Like, okay, not not saying that animals don't kill, you know, but you're not going to get arrested for killing an animal. You could. You kill. could. I know, yeah, you could, but not like to the extent. Yeah, I'm I mean, like, yo, what's up, bro? There's more to it. Yeah, because back then, animal cruelty wasn't really a big thing, but it would get you in trouble yeah. for killing an animal. But he he was destroying them on a nightly basis. Hey. Yeah. What a freak. I can't wait to part two. Dude, you... As we go I along, already hate him. As we go along, this thing isn't going to get any better. It's just going to continue to escalate. He's going to continue to push the envelope every time. Is it going to make me hate him? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When How you... do you not already hate him? <laughs> <laughs> this guy is, is interesting as much as you hate him. That's what it comes down to. Wow. Wow. I hated him from the moment that he played with his girlfriend's life. Yeah. That's... And enjoyed it. That was enough for me. That would have been like, you know what? <laughs> you go your way, I'll go mine. Yeah, something <laughs> told me something was wrong with him when he saw his sister getting raped and he enjoyed it. That was, that told me something's not yeah, right. Twisted mind. Yeah, he was not all there. That's for sure. But that's episode wow. one, guys. Well, I can't wait for episode two. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's let's do the little ending on this one. Uh, for you guys that's joining in, this is the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, and the narrator, Todd Fox, and uh, the host of the show, Gabby Gabby. This was the story of the Golden State Killer Part 1. If you want to hear the rest of the parts of this story, just stay tuned. We'll break it down for y'all. So with that being said, we're signing off and getting ready for Part 2. All right. Peace.